Welcome to the Entourage Podcast. My name is Paige Scott, and I'm going to be your host. Entourage Ministries gets its inspiration from Psalm 6811 that says, The Lord gives the command, and a great army of women proclaim the good news. Entourage is a multi-generational, multi-denominational, multicultural women's ministry based in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us today as we dive into truth from the Word so that your heart and spirit may be encouraged. Hello, ladies. Thank you for joining us today. It is an honor to have you, your heart, your attention, your time with us. And I want to open with this verse before I introduce my guest, Laurie. Uh, This verse is 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4, and it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And you are going to hear a testimony of what was uncomfortable and tragic and then what was comforted by the mercies of God. And we just pray and declare in faith that that will be your experience at the end of this. So, Laurie, say hello to our guest. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, I met Laurie a couple of months ago at a different ministry event, and we were doing different things, but she shared her testimony, and it stuck with me because I knew that there were a lot of women who needed to hear it. And when the Lord um, put this idea into our hearts to have a walk-in on May 3rd, and for those of you that don't know what that means, these these podcast episodes are leading up to an evening of a ministry that is specific and exclusive to the post-abortive community at our little entourage chapel at 1104 West Alabama at 6.30 in the evening on Tuesday, May 3rd. We are going to open our doors for any woman who wants to walk in and receive the love of Christ and trade in um, any shame or burden that she she may carry with regard to a past abortion. And, and the Lord put this on our hearts to do it the week of Mother's Day so that He can redeem that week that otherwise might be painful. So anyway, as we went into planning this, I'm like, I have time to get two testimonies out. And I immediately thought of Laurie, and I asked several people um, also, and, and was rejected a couple of times, but um, Laurie said, I am willing to share my story with anyone who will listen. So I invite you to listen to her story in just a moment, and I pray that the peace of the Lord guard your heart and your mind in Jesus. There may be parts that may be triggering, but it is going to be worth it to hear her freedom journey. So, Laurie, why don't you begin by telling us um, where your story begins in Southern Oklahoma, how old you were, and how this became part of your testimony. All right. Thank you. Um, Well, I grew up in Medill, which is just a few miles from Durant. And um, it all started when I um, was allowed to date way too young. And what approximately, not to date you, but so that I can um, 
let our listeners know that may also be from this time frame of life. What decade is this approximately that you're talking about this happening? Well, if it helps, I'll tell you that I am currently planning my 50th year class reunion Woo-hoo. that we're going to have in two weeks. So I graduated in 1972. Um, this was all happening um, in the late 1960s. Okay. And this is prior to Roe v. Wade. Okay. Uh, so abortion was not uh, legal um, across the nation at that point. There were there were certain places, certain states that were already beginning to legalize it. Which means that in your story in particular, we're going to find that great intention had to be part of yes. getting you to that space. That is correct. Okay. Um, but I started dating when I was 14, um, dating a 16-year-old. Um, in hindsight, I think I realized, and I believe my parents realized, that that was way too young to actually start car dating. And then I was also allowed to um, go steady, is what we called it back then. Sure. I'm not sure what they call it these days. I don't even know. <laughs> But um, I dated the same boy for over a year, mm-hmm. car dating, and I was not, um, I was not emotionally prepared uh, to to deal with the responsibility of of car dating mm-hmm. um, and being alone with a boy that frequently and the same boy over and over, mm-hmm. and um, as. Things generally progress. You know, he eventually was like he wanted more. He wanted more. uh, Or he was going to break up with me. And I couldn't allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. So um, one night in the back of his car down by on a little dirt road down by Lake Texoma, Mm -hmm. I I gave in Mm -hmm. and um, I lost my virginity that night. Um. And it wasn't long before I realized um, that I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, the weird thing is that I I was so naive. Um, it, it never really even occurred to me that I might get pregnant. I, mm-hmm. I didn't worry about getting pregnant. Yeah. Um, I just kind of thought, you know, you had to plan that or something. Mm-hmm. Um I look back on that now and realize, you know, how crazy that sounds. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I realized that I was pregnant when I started waking up having morning sickness. And, yes. And I knew, um, I mean, I panicked. I, I, I didn't know what to do. My parents were going to be so incredibly disappointed and upset with me. Uh, my parents were... Pillars of the community, um, reputation meant everything. You guys were in church. Yes, one that you were raised. We in were the very church. much involved in church. I was raised in the Methodist church. Um, and I just want to pause and say to our listeners too, so that when I'm saying that, I'm you're not hearing something different that I'm saying. Going to church does not constitute a relationship with Jesus Christ. So when I'm asking her that, I'm just clarifying that she was in and out of a place of faith, and there was a visibility to that, um, which is probably part of this story as well. So anyway, go ahead. Thank you, because that's important. 
I I was raised in the church, um, and I I I knew Jesus. I knew who He was. I accepted the fact that He um, died for my sins, but I did not have a relationship with Jesus. It was all head knowledge. There was no heart knowledge at all uh, with, with um, in my relationship with Jesus. Uh, but my mother, um, not my father, but my mother was a huge um, participant in our church and in the community. I mean, anybody that was in Medill in the 1960s and 1970s knows my mother. Um, and the last thing she wanted was for anybody to know that her daughter was pregnant, I assure you. Which seems to, with your generation, um, have been a common theme. Yes. When, uh, in fact, in sharing with with um, an adult woman older than me that, about this series, and, and um, she said, I didn't know anyone had an abortion that is older than me, and this woman was about uh, 60 years old. And, and I said, yes, it was just much more secretive and intentional than it is now. Absolutely. So I know that as you share your story, that for those in your generation who found themselves in that circumstance, their scenario is likely similar. I suspect that you are correct. Um, I was not aware of anybody that had an abortion when I was in school, although there probably were other girls, but there was just such a stigma and such shame involved um, with getting pregnant. Um, you know, a couple of girls that I knew did get pregnant and they, they got married. You know, they had the courage mm-hmm. uh, to do what they needed to do. Um, and I admire those girls. Sure. Um, but I, I found myself um, in a situation that I honestly had no idea how to deal with. Um, I was fairly certain I was pregnant. Uh, I had missed a period. Um, I told my boyfriend. He was very supportive. Um, And we actually kind of got excited about the idea that we were going to have a baby. And we decided that we were going to run off and get married. Um, Neither one of us, of course, had a job or any money. Um, and we really didn't know how we were going to do that, but somehow in our little teenage minds, we thought we could we could pull that off. So instead of going out on dates um, and spending money, we would um, save our money, and um, and we thought that eventually we would have enough money that we could get married. Uh, and we started planning our life together, and um, I I started connecting with the baby, and, and I can remember feeling that wow there's a baby in there, mm-hmm. you know, and I, it was kind of exciting. And it's like, we t- talked about names and where we were going to live. And, and it was all rather pie in the sky because there was really no way um, without some help that we could do that. And at that time there was no help available. There was there were no resources for people that yeah. found themselves in a situation like this. If you didn't have help from your family, there probably wasn't any way to actually make that happen. Mm-hmm. But um, eventually, I guess, I'm. some of this is kind of blurry. I need to preface this because I blocked this out 
um, this whole experience for many, many years. And the memories have just started coming back over the last few years, Mm -hmm. really. And some of it is there's holes, there's gaps. Um, The mind is very powerful and it is protective. Yes, um, self-defense mechanism. That's so common with trauma. We've been through trauma uh, for that to to happen. Yes. Um, My um, parents one evening called me to the kitchen table which was kind of unusual, um, and uh, told me to sit down. They were already sitting there. And, I, you know, you can sense it when you walk in. You know, you know something's wrong. And I, I remember walking in and sitting down and thinking, this isn't going to end well, whatever this is, you know. And I had a feeling I knew what it was. And my mother looked at me and said, you're pregnant, aren't you? And how far along at this point did you think that you were? I was, I was at least eight, possibly 12 weeks. Okay. Okay. I, I'm not real clear on how far along I was. Okay. Um, I probably knew then. I just don't remember now. Sure. Um. And I just broke down, you know, I, there was no point in trying to, to lie. Um, and so we had a very long talk at the table that night. I did most of the listening. I didn't get a chance to do much talking. Mm. My mother pretty much just took over the conversation and informed me, um, that I had disgraced the family and um, how ashamed she was of me. My dad never really spoke up or defended me at all. Uh, Mom was just on a roll. She was kind of out of control. Um, I know she was just scared. And I I know now that she was scared for me, Mm -hmm. you know, not... At the time, it felt like all she cared about was herself because uh, she kept talking about how could you do this to me. Um, and she told me that I would never tell a single soul. I couldn't even tell, not even my brother. Um, my, As far as I know, my brother never knew. Uh, nobody in our family knew. Um, it was just something that... Um, I was never to speak of, and mm-hmm. it would never be discussed in our house again. And I was to tell my boyfriend that um, it was a mistake. I wasn't really pregnant, that I had started my period, and I was never allowed to date him again. This was all happening during the summer. Mm. So it was very easy for my parents to control me during this time because I didn't need to go to school. Mm-hmm. So they, um, you know, they locked me down and I was not allowed to talk on the phone to anybody. I wasn't allowed to see anybody. I had no one to talk to, nobody. Um, I mean, they basically just kept me a prisoner in the house um, until they could get me uh, to the abortion clinic. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I was never asked how I felt about it. I was never asked if I wanted to have the baby. Um, and at that point, I just felt like I had to do whatever my parents told me I had to do. I, I, for some reason, I didn't see that I had a choice. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, that's on me. That's on me because all I had to do was say no. They, yeah. You know, they couldn't make me have the abortion, but somehow I thought they could. Um, parents have a lot of power over you, you know, when you're a child. And I was just a child. I was 15 years old. Um, and so the next thing I knew, um, we were packing up the car, and um, Mom and I went uh, to Kansas City I never really asked a lot of questions. Um, did you understand where you were going? I did. Okay. I knew that they were taking that she was taking me to to have an abortion. Um, I didn't want to go. And did you understand even what that meant medically? No, okay. I had no idea what okay. the what the procedure was. Yeah. Um, I knew it meant the end of my baby's life. Yeah. I knew that, and that's all I could really focus on, you know, because I I didn't want the abortion. You know, I, I wanted to have the baby. Mm -hmm. um, but um, I just kept my mouth shut, and I just did what my mother told me to do. It's a long drive from Medill, Oklahoma, to Kansas City. Um, and it's all rather strange, the things that I remember. Um, it was a huge hospital. And like I said, this was before Roe v. Wade. And I, I can only assume that somehow it was legal um, in Kansas because it was done at a very big Yeah like a university-type hospital. Mm -hmm. um, and I can remember just bits, little bits and pieces of it. I remember there were lines on the floor, all different colors with arrows, and they would tell you, follow the blue line to x-ray, you know, yeah. or follow the yellow line to yeah. whatever. Um, and I had never seen that before, and I was... I was so focused on that. Isn't that silly now that the, the things that your mind will do yeah. to get um, you distracted yeah. of, off of what's really happening. Mm -hmm. But I remember that more than I remember the, the actual abortion. Yeah. Um, I remember staying in a motel. I remember going to see, we were there for several days. Um, I'm not real sure why, other than I remember I had to go to a lot of different appointments. I had to see different doctors. And then there was like a um, a day or two that we had to wait before we could go back yeah. and have the abortion. Uh, so I guess this was just their protocol for, mm -hmm. for how they did it. Because we were there for maybe a week, maybe not quite that long. So we had a lot of downtime too. And, and I know my mom was just trying to distract me but we went shopping and we bought school clothes 
We went to see a couple of movies. I remember the movies that we went wow. to see. Um, I remember the theater. I remember the motel room. Yeah. I remember eating pickles yeah. in the motel room because I was craving pickles. My mom went and bought me some pickles. Silly things that I remember, but I don't remember the abortion. Yeah. I don't remember it at all. I don't remember the day of the abortion. I don't remember... I don't remember going to the hospital that day. I don't remember anything about it. Um, I do remember some of the appointments leading up to it. Um, I had to have a pelvic exam. And the doctor told me um, that I was too far along. Um, that they weren't going to be able to do it. Uh, this was back in the time when they could safely only do abortions early, very yeah. early before the uterus expanded. Yeah. And, um, but I was too far along. My uterus was too expanded. And I remember thinking, oh, thank you. You know, I'm, yeah. I, I, can, I don't have to have this, the abortion. Yeah. But when he told my mother, my mother said, well, what would happen if you did it anyway? And he said, well, it would be dangerous. It could damage your uterus. And, and she said, do it anyway. And I couldn't believe that she had just said that. And, and I didn't even know what to think about that. And the, the hospital made us both sign a form uh, releasing them of any responsibility because they had told us that it was not medically advised to do this. And the other thing I remember is um, there was this psychiatrist that they made me talk to. And um, I even remember his name. How strange is that? His name was, was Dr. Villanueva. But I absolutely could not remember that name. Yes. And I called him Dr. Vanilla Wafer. And he just thought that was funny. And he, he knew that I didn't want to have that abortion. And he gave me every opportunity. He said, your mother, he, he looked at me right in the eye and he goes, your mother cannot make you do this. All you have to do is say no. And, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And um, I have relived that many, many times over the last 50, 60 years. You know, something I love about God and his redemptive nature, though, is that he knows even when we say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing, his yes was eternal. Yes. And it was not influenced. His yes on the cross was not influenced by the moments we would get our yeses and nos mixed up. You're right. And I'm so thankful just in to our listeners as you, everyone has a moment in life that they regret a yes or yes, no. absolutely. That brings a matter of life and, and death. Um, some are more obvious than others. But your word, your choice that was off a degree, that was off a lot of degrees, that was missed, listener, it doesn't impact his yes. That's exactly right. So continue. Yes, I just wanted to thank interject you. that. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. 
but it's just, it's like I wanted to say no, but the word just absolutely would not come out. My mother had such a power over me. And, and I don't, let me stop for just a second. My mother was not a bad person at all. My mother was a good mother. She was a good person. She was a wonderful woman. Um, she was doing what she thought was best for me. Um, and I know that now. At the time, it didn't feel like that. And yeah. at the time, it felt like it was all about her. Yes. Um, and it, I felt like she was just throwing me under the bus to save her own reputation. Yes. Um, but I, I, I don't believe that anymore. But it hurt very much at the time. Yeah. So anyway, I had the abortion. I uh, don't remember anything about it. Uh, I've tried um, to remember the day, the smells, the sounds, um, the feelings, anything, and nothing comes back. And, and maybe that's a blessing. I think so. Maybe it is. Um, but I do remember the drive back home, and I remember it being a very quiet drive. Um, there really wasn't much left to say. I was pretty traumatized. I think my mother was too. Um, we got home. Um, probably most girls uh, today have never heard of the International Order of the Rainbow for Girls, but it was a big thing back in the 60s and 70s in Oklahoma, and it's a part of the Masonic organization. It's a Christian-based organiza service organization for teenage girls. Okay. And I was um, very involved in it. Um, most of my friends were too. It was a really big thing in our town. My mother, as usual, was the leader. Um, she was involved in everything I did. And um, we had our meeting that Monday. We, I think we got back home, I'm going to say like on Friday, Saturday, um, and I was home a day or two. And then it was time for my rainbow meeting. And I went to this rainbow meeting with my mother. And um, I remember sitting in that room and feeling like a complete fraud. This is a Christian-based organization. It's all based on the Bible. And, um, you know, we're going through all of the, the opening and there's different things that are said. It's very ritualistic, but a lot of Bible verses. Um, and I, I'm thinking, I, I just wanted to get up and run out. It's like, I don't deserve to be in this room. There's just, I, I don't need to be here. Because, and I think it's important to note here that we are made at, the Bible likens us to sheep and we are made to hear the voice of the shepherd. And so the enemy always has something to say as well. And when you give him a little bit of foot room, then he's going to step in as the accuser and he's going to partner and magnify Absolutely. the shame and the condemnation you feel. So as she's sharing about being in this setting and feeling this fraud, that wasn't the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us to repentance that produces life. That's correct. It convicts us to say, turn toward me bring this to me and I'm going to show you, I'm going to forgive you and show you how not to do it again yes. so that you can live. But the enemy um, 
accuses us and produces a death inside of us. So I just want to be clear. She's talking about sitting here and feeling like a fraud. That wasn't the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. That was the enemy partnering with yes. her worst fears inside yes. of her, echoing them louder and louder. Absolutely. Satan had a hold of me. Absolutely. Um, and I went home that night, um, and I wasn't feeling very good. I was cramping a lot. Um and I just went on to bed, and I didn't tell my parents um, that I was feeling bad. And um, and I realized at some point that I was really bleeding very, very heavily. But the truth was that I didn't care. You know, I I was so depressed that it wouldn't have bothered me one bit if I had just died that night. And I think it's important just to understand, and this is the complexity that is so often abortion, yes. your heart was broken yes. from a premature romance. It was genuinely broken. Mm-hmm. Your your body was wounded from a horrible procedure. It was dangerous to your body. Your soul was crushed from the loss of life that you were carrying, and then you were also trying to deal with what felt like the betrayal of your protector in right. your mom. And so that's about as complex spiritually, physically, and emotionally as it gets. It was too much. I, yeah. I couldn't deal with it, you know, and I just wanted to lay down and die. And I realized that uh, something was wrong. I was in a lot of pain. And I was like in a fetal position and um, I was hemorrhaging and I, I didn't even care enough to go tell my parents, you know, I just hoped that I would just die in the night and that would be all there was. And, um, but somehow my mother came in and checked on me and she found me in a pool of blood and, and uh, it's all kind of blurry. Um, but I do know that my dad picked me up. And this this in itself is a miracle because my dad was, was older um, at this point in my life. I guess my dad was about 60. And he was crippled um, from a, a wreck that he had been in. And um, I didn't even know my dad was capable of picking me up and carrying me. But he did. And I remember wrapping my arms around his neck as he carried me to the car. And he laid me in the back seat. And um, I was kind of floating in and out of consciousness. It was kind of foggy. But I I remember my mother was got behind the wheel and, and she was driving and dad was in the passenger seat. And um, I heard them talking about what they were going to do. And the closest hospital to our house, we lived out in the country, out on the lake, Mm -hmm. actually. Um, The closest hospital was the one in Medill. Mm -hmm. And Dad said, we need to get her to the Medill Hospital. And I heard my mother say, if we take her there, everybody will know. And Dad said, she won't make it to Ardmore. And my mom 
took me to Ardmore. Mm. And that's the last thing I remember in the car was hearing my mom say, I'm not taking her to Medill. And I thought, well, okay. Um, the next thing I know, I'm waking up um, in recovery and they did take me to Ardmore to the emergency room and they performed a surgery on me. I had a perforated uterus and um, so they had to um, go in and repair my uterus mm -hmm. and um, get rid of all the hemorrhaging and all of that. I really don't know what all they did. I was just a kid. <laughs> um, Not the way you expect to spend your summer at no. 14. <laughs> I, was yeah. I was supposed to be going to cheerleading camp. I never made it. Yeah. Um, and um, that was my experience. And it was all over. I, w I had to stay in the hospital a couple of days. And then mom and dad took me home. And then school started. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, my boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend was still in school. And we saw each other, you know, at school. But we never spoke to each other again. Mm. And um, that was hard too but yes. um i never told anybody i just kept it to myself um the procedure left me unable to have children and i felt like that was fair you know it's like i deserve that and i want to stop here but i just in pre-production we talked about a lot of things that you felt and believed that weren't God's heart for you. Absolutely. It, she'd shared with me that she stepped into the role of um, still going to church, of teaching and yes. serving when she needed to do those things, of knowing about God in her mind, but believing that she was just, she was beyond repair, beyond redemption, and that she was destined for for hell because Absolutely. there there was forgiveness for other people but for what she had done there was nothing that's what she believed of yes. course that listener if that if you think that about yourself that is not the truth that is not that is not the truth all of us are sinners who were destined for hell until we receive yes, Christ hallelujah. and he births life in us and the promise for the believer is that while we are on this earth we are just becoming more alive each day until we cross into eternity, whether we face physical, uh, we, and we will face physical death in this life. We go from life to life, from glory to glory, yes. from grace to grace, from strength to strength. So again, the enemy had partnered against Lori to, yes. to just confirm and affirm these lies yes. of all the things that she's talking about. Absolutely. And that was that was the next 50 years of my life. So you get you get married, you adopt a son. I did, and that was such a blessing. That was that was a miracle from God, um, and, that, and that's a story in and of itself that I won't take time to to share today. But trust me, it was it God's hands were all over that adoption. Absolutely. Um, so you you 
continue your, your yes. motherhood journey. Yes. You get to become a mother, yes. though um, not the way that, that you would yes. have hoped, but God always just outdoes himself yes, he did. with our expectations. And, um, and so I know from knowing your story, you tell your husband and your son, they I know did. about your abortion, but it's, it's on um, lockdown otherwise. Right. Until, tell, tell me about the day you encounter a woman that you feel safe, <sighs> you feel the love of God in her, and you just, to your own surprise, tell her, um, yes, that was a, a very strange experience. Again, uh, to reiterate, uh, 50 years I spent in silence um, about my abortion and um, thinking that I would take it to my grave. Um, and I joined a bell choir at a church in Medill, a church that I don't even attend. God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you, and um, that particular church got a new pastor, and um, the pastor's wife joined the bell choir, and so I had known her for a couple of weeks, and we were talking one night after um, practice, and she was telling me how she had found a job, and she was working um, for Hope Pregnancy in Ardmore. And what year approximately is this? 2018. Okay, go ahead. And um, and I was like, really? Well, what is that? You know, and she was telling me uh, about Hope Pregnancy and how they help girls, um, l- women with unplanned pregnancies, and she was telling me about her experience um, that she had had with a miscarriage. And all of a sudden, it was like something just took over control of my body. And I am just telling her my entire story. Um, and please remember, I've not ever told anybody. And now I'm telling this almost total stranger um, but I felt so safe. I just, yeah. I felt like God had led me to this point. Yes. He, he, I crossed paths with this woman so that I could share my story yeah. because she immediately, you know, she's crying, I'm crying. Um, and she's, you know, saying all the right things and hugging me, and and then she tells me about this program that Hope Pregnancy has that helps women recover from past abortions. And I was like, I didn't even hesitate. I, I, you know, really, I was like, sign me up. And and then after I did that, I I got kind of scared. Um, but. I did it. Yeah. It was one of the hardest things I have ever done was to walk into that building the night that I was supposed to walk in. Um, and I was up against it, you know, and, and the leader, bless her heart, her name is Leanne, and I love her to death. She knew how to deal with me because she, you know, she gradually cracked the door open and I and I felt safe and... Yep. And I finally started sharing, and um, and it's a biblical study that helps you understand 
the the forgiveness that is available through Christ. Amen. Um, I that I never thought was available to me. I just thought somehow I thought that my sin was too big. Yeah. Um, that how do you? How could God possibly forgive me for killing? Oh, I forgot to tell you the reason that my uterus was expanded too far was because it was twins. Mm. We didn't know that. There were no sonograms back then, and they couldn't even tell it on the pelvic exam, but after the abortion, they told told us that it was twins. So I I had two babies that I aborted. Um, And it's like, how could could you possibly be forgiven for such a horrible, Horrible, horrible thing. Um, but you are. But I am. And I love that you and um, the other woman, um, Carrie, who recorded a podcast, you both spend part of your life now sharing with other women what you didn't have the opportunity to hear. And I just think how many babies are alive because you're willing to let God minister from your pain. Well, that's that's what God whispered in my ear was that he can turn all things for good. Yes. And not only am I forgiven, completely forgiven for what I did, but I now have the opportunity to to share my story and work with women who are in unplanned pregnancies yeah. um, and offer them hope yes. and resources that um, had those, had that hope and, and those resources been available to me, my story might've ended differently. Yeah. But I felt somehow trapped. I felt yeah. like, I had I had no one to turn to, and then my fear, um, not um, not my fear in the in this my discernment. I'll say it that way. My discernment, my concern, is that there are many women who were walked down that path and they still feel trapped. Absolutely, the trap never it never released. It Absolutely. closed in on them. There's no reprieve. There was no relief. I know, and that's why on May third we want to open our doors and be this safe place. And as you talk about this woman this pastor's wife, be in a safe place. I just think we all get the opportunity to be that for other people. To minister, ministry is not a title or position. Ministry is just extending the heart of God to another person. And it is for us. It is not against us. And I think about um, that Malachi says that the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness rises with healing in its wings. And I just picture gentle a gentle cleansing light coming over that's just warm and beautiful and comfortable, just coming over all any of us who would receive it, just ministering that healing of God. So I want you to talk about now. So you're going through, and side note before I forget, um, Laurie does do a post-abortive ministry at our Crisis Pregnancy Center in Durant. Their phone number is 580-920-2229, and they're located at 308 North 2nd. And also on May 3rd, I'll have information about how you could get in touch with her if you're in the Texoma area. 
and want to connect with her. But um, so she she says yes to the scary step of going into yes. to this study. Um, and then you're doing your homework one morning at a kitchen table. Yes. And share that encounter. And I kind of want to <laughs> wrap up based around that. It was the most glorious moment of my life. Um, I was sitting alone at my kitchen table. Nobody else was in the house. And um, I was reading my lesson uh, for the post-abortion um, study that I was doing. It was on forgiveness. And um, I was doing all of the things it said to do. You know, there's exercises involved, and you have to answer questions, and you have to really stop and think about how you feel about certain things. You have to dig deep um, frequently um, and journal things. And uh, I had done all of these things, and I fi- it finally got down to the last thing that I was supposed to do, and that was to pray and to ask God to forgive me. And um, here I am. I'm, I'm a 65-year-old woman that's been in church my whole life, and I didn't know how to pray. And I certainly didn't know how to pray that prayer. And honestly, I had never prayed out loud in my whole life. I always felt uncomfortable doing that. Um, even my own personal private prayers were pretty silly. You know, it was like, okay, you know what I'm thinking, Jesus. So, you know, if you could just do that, that would be great. <laughs> Amen. You know, that was my prayer. And, um, and he doesn't mind. He doesn't he mind. <laughs> I know. And he, he'll talk to us any old way. Yep. Um, but, uh, that particular day I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And so I sat there with my eyes open, and I looked across the table, and I pretended that Jesus was sitting at the table with me. And I just started talking to him um, like a friend, you know. And it was kind of awkward at first because I had never done this before. And I um, I just kept talking, and and it was kind of, you know, I would have some pauses because I couldn't think of anything else to say, and then I would think of something else, and and it went on like that for a few minutes, and it's like, come on, Laurie, you can do better than this. <laughs> Hard on yourself. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, so I tried again, and I, and I started talking to him again, and now it started getting easier, and the words started coming. And the words started coming, and they started coming, and they started coming so fast that it was like I couldn't get the words out. It was like I was thinking the stuff faster than I could say it. And I, and now I'm not, I'm not looking across the table anymore. My eyes are closed, my arms are up, and I am uh, talking to him about everything. I'm laying everything at his feet. I'm crying. I'm begging him for forgiveness. And um, I don't know how long this went on. It was it was a long time. Um, I don't know, 30 minutes, maybe an hour. Um, I didn't want it to end. I know that. It was, it, I, I felt so connected. I felt so connected to God uh, for the first time ever in my life. 
And it was a feeling I didn't want to ever end. It's like you're connected to the vine. It's like you're experiencing all at once those yes. fruits of the Spirit, yes. love, joy, peace, just running through just all, of all you. simultaneously, just all hitting me all at once. It was to just, the extent you started laughing. At I some did. Point. <laughs> I did start laughing. Yes. Um, and and at some point, um, I started having this sensation of uh, the air moving mm-hmm. around me, like a cool breeze. Yeah. Um, Almost like somebody turned a fan on or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And the, the air was moving; and it was cool, and it was it was like moist. It was like a mist. I remember. Yes. And and I just knew. I knew. I, 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 I nobody had to tell me. I knew it was the Holy Spirit. Yes. I knew it was, and that's when I started laughing, and I was just yeah. like, oh. <sighs> Praise God. So what was happening? So as I hear your story, and I think about from a biblical standpoint to put into words what was happening, the Bible says that Jesus um, baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We're sealed at salvation. But it's a continual uh, filling, and we have these marked moments in our life. They may not all be just like that. But we're clearly there's a work being done, and so just to paint that visual, what I think was happening, I think Jesus was baptizing you, immersing oh, you with the Holy Spirit, hallelujah. and then I think the Holy Spirit, according to Romans five, was pouring the love of yes. God into your heart, and I think the only thing you did that activated that was that you gave Him permission yes. to have your to have those things in your heart that freed up that space for Him to I give surrendered. you. I surrendered. All that's all He wanted. He yeah. wanted. All all yes. that st- unforgiveness, all of yes. that judgment toward yourself, so that he could pour his love into there yes. by the Holy Spirit. I agree. By Jesus. I agree. I and, will believe that forever and ever. And that gets to be all of our story, no matter how we come to that yes. table. And to be clear, that's exactly Jesus wants us to come to the table. Yes. He gave everything so that we could have a face to face relationship with him. He wants to. That, that is relationship with Jesus, coming to the table, breaking bread yes. with him, handing him our heart over and over and over again and letting him do what he knows is best. Yes. And, and so as we wrap up, I want you to pray for every woman to surrender her heart and her unforgiveness of herself and other, all the things to the Lord, and I just want you to ask Jesus to just pour out His Holy Spirit on them wherever they are right now. Yes. And we will end on that beautiful note. I would be glad to. Father God, we come to you today, and we are so grateful for your love and your mercy, your forgiveness, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord for taking all of our sins to the cross with you, Lord. You did it for us. You were like the rose trampled on the ground, Lord. And I pray for all of the women that are out there, Lord, that, were, that are still in that prison, that are still trapped in the belief that they cannot be redeemed that they cannot be forgiven, Lord. There is nothing you cannot forgive. You have already forgiven us, Lord. 
We just need to surrender and accept. Mm. Oh, Father, hallelujah. I just ask that the women out there that are listening to this story, if this is you, if this is your secret, it's time to surrender it to Jesus Christ. He is waiting for you to come to the throne room and crawl up on his lap and just give him all of your pain and all of your tears. And he will give you back the peace that you cannot even imagine, a joy so beautiful. All it takes is a step from you. Come forward. Have the courage. He's waiting for you. He will leave the 99 and come after you. Every single time. You just have to follow. He is the gift, but you have to open it. Mm-hmm. Don't lose another day of wallowing in your pain and your tears and your anguish. I just pray that the Lord will touch you and wrap his arms around you and draw you in so that you can surrender all of those secrets, whatever they may be, because he's ready. And I hope you are too. We pray these things in his holy, holy name. Amen. Amen. Ladies, our doors will be open on May 3rd at 6.30 p.m. We would love to welcome you and give you more information about how you could connect with Laurie if you just feel that in in your heart. Be blessed. See you soon. Jesus loves you. Goodbye. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Entourage Ministries, visit our website at entourageministries.com or visit us on Facebook or Instagram. 